Momentum Volleyball is the online Canadian hub for volleyball storytelling, reporting, and event coverage, allowing content creators to connect with fans, coaches, and players. Momentum is the hub for athletes, coaches, and fans to find free and paid volleyball content, and we are proud to be the voice of Canadian volleyball around the world. Head to MomentumVolleyball.ca to subscribe for free and get access to exclusive content and all your Canadian volleyball updates. Hello everyone, welcome back to Sharp Cuts. My name is Garrett May alongside Josh Nickel. As always, welcome back to the show. Um, we're struggling to get things together here. We're recording at a new time. Things have been crazy here, but we're here to come with you with I hope what's gonna be an interesting show. We got two excellent guests today, Josh. You've outdone yourself with the guest situation. We've been only having one. Now we got two and they're in the same place. I mean, I guess maybe it was convenient, um, but we got Stephen Abrams and Josh Tamukas. Did I say your name right, Josh? Welcome to the show, Stephen. How are you guys doing? Doing good. You pronounced my name perfectly. So you're all good there. Amazing. I'm off to a great start, Josh. I love it. Don't even say any, don't even clap me. Don't even say anything. Okay, let's get right into it. So um, these guys in the show, obviously volleyball players, you guys play for Windsor um, in Ontario. You're both kind of have played on the beach scene as well at the junior level um, and a little bit indoor as well. So I figure this applies to all of us and we can all maybe have a thought on this. I don't know, Josh. I mean, I assume you've heard about the new volleyball world beach tour. I mean, you have to have, right? It's your job. But for those who haven't, and I didn't hear about it until just recently, they kind of announced this past month that uh, the whole new structure. So I'm just going to do a brief overview and then I want to get some thoughts because I have a few thoughts about what they're trying to do um, and then we can get into it. So they have three separate types of tournaments now, elite, challenge and futures on this volleyball world beach tour, beach pro tour. I don't like the names already. Uh, the elites, you have 16 teams, no qualifier. Top 16, that's the top group. They're going to be there every time. The challenge is basically like what we know as kind of an open tournament um, where there's 24 teams. There's a 32-team qualifier to get in. That's kind of the mid-range. And then the lowest is the future with 16 teams. And you can have up to a 16-team qualifier in those as well. So that's the new structure that they're going forward. Immediately, I have a ton of concerns, but I won't. I'll just maybe let that fester and see if anybody uh, here on the panel has any thoughts about this kind of new structure for the Beach Pro Tour. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's definitely exciting that they're trying to incorporate these new changes. But as you said, there's definitely some some questionable calls right from the beginning. Um, having the the names already like elite and futures and intermediate kind of throws curveballs in there. Uh, it makes people like question like, do you really want to watch a futures tournament if you're just a normal fan? Does that can attract the same viewership as like an FIVB one star or two star? just based on the names itself. Well, that's interesting you say that because no, they're actually thinking that no, people won't want to watch that. That's why they're only doing the elites, I think. At least they've committed to only doing the elites on the volleyball world kind of streaming service. So they, I think, agree with you. Like, no, nobody actually does want to watch the futures. Who cares about them? Let's just broadcast the top of the top. But definitely you're right. Like, what, like, who, who wants to host a futures if you're a promoter? Like, hey, yeah, bring... Who, who's going to play in that? Like, it's going to be garbage. 
I think I see the features being what the one stars were this year, Garrett, where you see a few really keen federations like Bulgaria hosted four one stars last year. So I think it's just a good way. If you, if maybe you don't feel like you have a team in that elite 16, it's a good, it's a good way to get home experience for them, play a bunch of events, but yeah, the prize money's not very good. And any indication I've seen of the point structure is there's going to be no sandbaggers. Like once you've established that you're a challenger team, there's no chance you're going back down to future because the points are so little and the prize money is so little that once you kind of graduate beyond features, you're not going back. Okay, so that was my biggest problem with it. It's like, if that's the intent, you're just going to be a freaking log jam to get into elite. Like, think about how many teams we know who come out of the qualifier and go and win a Grand Slam. Like, how deep things can potentially be or, like, make a quarterfinal. And now you got a log jam of potentially 48 teams stuck in that challenge mentality. Like, holy. And what are they going to do about country quota? Like, are you going to be allowed four teams in each of those as well? Now Brazil's got 12 teams across all the different things. Like, it could be a huge mess. So what I'm hearing from our players who are on the committee is I think Volley World is trying to be really inclusive and take the feedback from the from the players, Garrett. But the problem is a lot of the players have selfish goals. So we've heard rumors that there will not be a country quota limit in the, in a, the elite 16. So if, if a top country, maybe Canada has eight teams in the elite 16, like that's going to be totally allowed based on the points, uh, which I, I think as a fan, it's hard to watch. Like, say Canada hosts an event and all the quarterfinals are either Germany or Brazil teams. It's hard to, like, get fired up for those matches. You know what I mean? Like, ooh, Germany versus Germany in the quarter. Who cares about that as a general fan? So that, that's going to be super interesting. I do like the fact that there is no qualifier. And the the list is going to get announced about 28 days before. So as a fan, you can kind of, like, look at the draw. Like, kind of like World Champs is. You kind of know what's happening before. And they can sell the matches a little bit more. So that part's cool. But the, the no qualifier and how fast the teams switch, I, I agree. There's going to be a log jam and there's going to be a lot of good teams playing these challenge events well but you've taken out your most exciting matches now in the qualifier like i don't know you guys went to the worlds did were you in the qualifier of that tournament or were you right in the main draw yeah we had to grind through the qualifier which it's like i think in our world championships three teams that qualified all made quarterfinal so there's <laughs> there's really good teams there's really good teams in that qualifier so if you eliminate that you're, you're gonna miss out on not only great games in the qualifier but teams that can go all the way and, and perform well the tournament. So I think it's a bold move taking out the qualifier at such a high level because so many teams are so close. Right. Okay. But so if you think, okay, your challenge tournament is the qualifier, but still, if you're marketing these elite tournaments, you're taking out some of your most intense, most exciting, most entertaining matches for people who, like you said, Josh, don't actually care about either team, but you know that they're both scrapping it out for trying just trying to make it in right so now you've handcuffed yourself there but now the only qualifier matches the highest level qualifier matches are going to be in the challenge tournaments like that intense it's like it's like what what the heck are we doing here uh, i don't even uh, it just like and who is this for like so you guys went to the the was it junior world youth worlds junior worlds the U21, so junior. Junior, yeah, junior world. So, like, that's a great example. Like, when I played then, I would have loved to, say, have one of these future tournaments to go to. But then again, like, for you guys, say, are you thinking, like, okay, yeah, I'm going to shell out a couple thousand dollars to go to, where did you say hosted four events last year? Bulgaria? Like Bulgaria. Are yeah. you paying two grand each to go to Bulgaria to play in a futures event? Like, is that something you're thinking about doing? I mean, maybe, but like, <laughs> probably not, though, to be honest. It's a like, tough sell. Yeah, very tough. Like, so. Is there, like, is there like an age limit on this future event, too? Like, why is it called future? 
Well, I guess they're impl- yeah. Like, what if Garrett May comes out of retirement and is going and dominating all the futures? <laughs> and it's like, no, I don't want to go up. I just want to be in the futures. I'm not even going to register for the other events until my points go down. Then I'm in a future again. Yeah, that is that is a, a good point. Like, there's there's no obviously the future could be meaning it's the gen- the next people coming up. But what if you're just 30 year old guy who's grinding? He's not going anywhere, but he's got the minimum points and he's just going in all these futures. That, that's awfully close to describing me there, Stephen. So just watch <laughs> yourself when you're on Sharp Cuts, okay? You guys have been awfully nice so far agreeing with me, but 30-year-old guy who's grinding it out? Come on, watch where you're going with that. So basically, if Garrett lived in Austria or somewhere that had access to all these tournaments, oh, like a cheap <laughs> flight or like a train right away, you'd be playing in all these events. Oh, I'd be there. I, I wouldn't even practice. I'd just be like, hey, it, like... Put me in. I don't know if my country is hosting, like if Canada hosted a futures in Vancouver, say, and like nobody wants to come to Canada, I'd register. Why not? I feel like if Canada hosted one of these events, it'd just be like 12 Canadian teams. That would be great, though. How amazing would that be for us, selfishly? Like we had the North Bay Norseca a while back, and we like packed that thing with Canadian teams. We didn't even fill the tournament. We could add more. I think at the Edmonton one as well, the three star, there is still some empty qualifier spots. Hey, okay, watch the where you talk about the Edmonton three star. Okay, we only refer to that event in the highest regard. That is the best event in Canadian beach volleyball history. Like, I, I think there's no doubt about that. Anybody who was there would tell you that. The court announcers were just top tier. The like, court announcers were the here. best ever, is what I've heard. I just what I've heard yeah. from I heard the that event. too. Yeah. I think they were called V Squad. A terrible name. <laughs> Josh, and I were, Josh and I were down there as well, and we were getting pretty fired up on the sidelines with the announcers. Oh, yeah. The time. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, now I'm actually wondering if these two realize it was me or, <laughs> or if they're are they just playing along with, with the bit. No, no. We, we knew it was you. <laughs> They're great guests already, Gary. Great guests. See that? Listen, this. I'm glad you got found great guests, Josh. They just go along with everything we say so far. I'm loving it. Agreeing with everything we say. I mean, listen, you guys know it's sharp cuts, though, right? Like that's what this show is called. Yeah, I word on the street. I've seen a couple episodes for sure. Oh, that immediately gets you bonus points. But anyway, yeah, you're right. Like if we could get a futures, like what are we even in the running for? Oh, and the other thing, I gotta. If you haven't seen the video, I mean, it's a one minute video. It's got some nice beats to it. Just kind of the announcement video for it. They show a map and I'll maybe take a screenshot and show it on YouTube um, for those who are watching. Um, they show a map of the world and all the different spots where like they put a V where all the different spots of the events they're hosting are. And <laughs> they put one in like Northwest territories, like in, in Northwestern Canada. And I'm like, looking at the list, I'm like, what that, What event is this? Like, is, are we hosting something? What do they mean by this? No, nope. just totally like spread out the Vs to make it look like they were going across the whole world when there's no event in Canada. Like, it was just totally faking it. So immediately my suspect was like yelling at their screen. Yes, we're getting one. We're going to kill the white horse. <laughs> I, was hu- I was hype. I was like, I was looking at it. I was like, yeah, V up there in Canada. I was like, oh, where are we we're hosting? Look at the list. Nothing. I mean, immediately suspect of this whole thing just because of that. 
I will say, if you look at the calendar, though, it looks like whoever designed this finally owns a map. And what I mean by that, Garrett, is there have been years where <laughs> you go to Europe and then the next four stars in Brazil and then you got to go to Asia. And it's like just the travel alone was like, who designed this? Where now it looks like Australia is going to host a few and those are in a row. Uh, Brazil and Mexico are in a row. Like, it, it seems like it, they, they finally realize that the athletes, you know, have to travel to every event and they made it a little bit easier on them, like logistically and just fatigue wise. Well, I'm immediately going to call you on that as I look at the list of events right in front of me here i am at an advantage but we start in rio go to mexico so that's not terrible but then we go to cape town south africa i mean that's a huge jump then back to spain i mean then we hang in europe for a bit so you're right i mean there is some of that going on and i mean i guess we end in australia so maybe they're doing like the full sweep across the world or something like that but yeah a few big jumps still I think it'll always be that way. But yeah, I just remember years where it was like terrible. And Grant did like 40 hours of travel in like one stint. And I was like, why, why would you put your body through that? Yeah. I mean, I don't get it. And like you guys, you guys went, where was your uh, junior worlds? It was in Thailand. Yeah. So like, that's a journey. Like you got it. Like, I mean, you obviously fit in the bill for that. Like you got to pay for that. So when you're paying, you got to try to find the best travel arrangements, right? To save some money. Yeah, it was it was a grind, and for us, the way home, like the day before you leave, um, the the airplane line that we're going on, they went on strike. So the day <laughs> oh shit! Figure out how to get halfway across the world on a day's notice. So I'm just calling my dad at home. We're trying to figure out flights. It was an absolute grind. So you were there but, by yourself. Yeah, Josh's parents. Hey, thankfully, I had my mom there with me. So. Yeah. A little bit of uh, emotional support there. That was a little stressful. Yeah. So, but imagine, Josh, if you're trying to get these futures events for for the future, these kids, like 18 to 21 year old kids, and on the women's side, those people could be winning tournaments. Like the youth in the women, like can dominate. Well, the men too, but not as young, right? But you get people going off, flying the world by themselves, barely out of high school. Like, what are we trying to do here? <laughs> Yeah, it, I mean, it definitely helps any way you can get the younger people that international experience, I think is huge. So if these future tournaments are a little easier to get into for people that don't have as many points, I could see that's a huge benefit to people like us that right now with the COVID stuff that happened, like we don't have any more FIVB points anymore. We lost our chance to get into those other tournaments. So if this is, gives us that opportunity to get some points and get in it, then I can see how it help for sure. But at the same time, if you have to bounce all over the world on a moment's notice, like it's not easy when you're 19, 20 years old, fresh out of high school, haven't traveled much, especially by yourself. It's a grind for sure. Yeah. See, you bring up an interesting point though, that um, I hadn't noted in our topics today, but I'm kind of curious to talk about now is about experience. And you're saying how valuable it is for you guys to have international experience. And the the question that kind of comes to mind for me is like, why? why why is that experience valuable is it because you like because i go well if you if you were the best and arrive at a tournament as the best your experience doesn't necessarily matter as much right the experience is super helpful for getting you to improve so i get that but like why are we asking like, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but maybe the continental tour idea is the way to actually kind of go here rather than these futures events. 
Because like, why are we going to ask people to spend a bunch of money traveling all over the world to get this experience and high level competition when you could actually regionalize things and just get valuable tournaments where you're getting better and improving without spending so much money and traveling as much? I think the the missing link here, Garrett, when, when you talk experience is if we could find a way for the vets to stay connected to the young ones. And the reason I bring that up is like my first FIV, shot at I me? think, no, I, I think you or anyone who's ever played on the tour would be valuable because my first one was like Quebec City. So super friendly, super well run about. I think that's normal. Go to Long Beach, like super awesome, like easy. But when I go to China, like that was mind blowing to me. Like you got to figure out what like you don't speak the same language. He's been as a volunteer. So how do you find the shuttle? How do you find what to eat? Like oh, all that where, stuff. where are the courts? Like I think that's where experience kicks in. Where like if I, if I wasn't even playing, I was coaching. But if you're a top level player and your first event is in China, there are so many distractions off the court that you don't even know how to handle it. Where if they talk to you or some other vets they're like okay you're gonna have to pack peanut butter you're gonna have to pack camping meals you're gonna have to do something because you're gonna hate the food there like there's ways to gain that experience with having without having to go through the trenches of doing it yourself but i think there's enough in a few countries that host events that if you don't know what's coming it's a big distraction and that will affect you that's a good point josh on that topic like before we went um we're pretty close with jake mcneil so he helped us out a lot and like you said, like being close with your vets can, can make a huge difference. He gave us a lot of pointers and I saw the other Canadian teams that came with us being their first event, like they were missing out on some of those extra things. So like for me, myself, I'm pretty picky eater and that's huge. When you're competing, you need to be at your best. You need to be dialed on your nutrition. So yeah, I you got to get sure. over that. Can't be a picky eater playing on the tour. <laughs> so, so I, I made sure to bring the things that I needed to prepare myself and be ready to play at my best. And I saw other athletes, either not even from Canada, just everywhere, like struggling to eat. And it shows in your competition if you're not able to fuel yourself and prepare well enough on the tour, especially you're not going to perform the way you want. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point and I kind of underestimated. So I guess that from that perspective, experience is valuable. But at the same time, like it, <clears throat> if you go somewhere and you can deal with that. Like there's ways to mitigate that for sure for a young team coming up who's ready to go compete, right? Is that like, like, I mean, in China, yeah, it's tough. It's going to be tough, but we can prepare for that. I think we do a terrible job of that as well of like, when I, and maybe you guys can relate to this as well, um, is when I was growing up, you play on your domestic tour, like in your province. So for us, it was the OVA beach tour, you know, for others, it's wherever they're playing. And then you, you improve, you play the nationals, you play some other events in your country. Then you try to go to some continental events or some world tour events. But then like that, that's the, that's kind of the line, but nowhere in that line, is there any preparation for what the life of being a pro athlete is? It, it comes at you like a wall the first year you got to go and spend a bunch of time on tour. I'm not sure if you guys feel the same way. Yeah, it was definitely an eye opener just playing, just jumping from OVA events and then just going to Thailand and then seeing like the best players in the world at our age. And like, it was just a completely different experience, completely different feeling of playing volleyball. Yeah. Like you play in your OVA, you're like, okay, I got to pack my cooler. I got to have enough food to last the day. Like, or maybe it's a two day event. So it's like, okay, you know, we got to know the other teams, you know, we got to show up early, get a nice parking spot, like post up under the tree or whatever. But like when you, you go, you go and you're playing an international event, like it's, it's just a whole different preparation method. Like the, what do you do the days up to your event? Like that's just something you even that we never considered right so like this is why there's like this futures thing is, is like it's not going to be 
the name futures implies it's going to be a bunch of young teams trying to up and coming in it. But I can't see it being that either. Right. Because how many futures are you going to have to play before you earn your way into the challenge events? I don't know. Five, six. Right. Like a number. And at that point, now you're you're like a traveling pro athlete and not making a ton of money. Yeah. And like for each future team that goes up, someone's going to have to come down because it's not, as you said, it seems like there's a pretty stagnant amount of people there. So if someone goes up, that means a quali- like an experienced team in the challengers is going to have to come back down to the futures. So it won't necessarily just be the young guys grinding, but there will be some experienced teams in there for sure. So I wonder, Josh, and I don't think they've explicitly stated it, but will they have consolation matches in the elite tournament? Ooh. I would watch that. Hey, you lose. You're going down to challenge. That would be a match I would want to see. I would. You're right. When you put it in order, Garrett, I think the qualifier matches are really intense and like quarterfinals onwards. But yes, if you had that consolation and like, because I imagine when we talk about the things off the court, like the hotels are going to be nicer at the Elite 16. The oh, food's yeah. going to be nicer. When you get sent back down to challenge, like I think that's going to be a different lifestyle. That that's going to be the best match of the tournament are these consolations. Right. Like, or like, I don't know, like that, uh, like the third, fourth place pool play match like the match to determine if you win or lose your pool like because if you come forth like you're maybe your points are low enough you're going you're going down like that is going to be so intense and it's going to be intense because it's the people's livelihood on the line it's like it's pretty dark though like in the nba if you watch a match to see if you make the playoffs or not the losing team they're all still millionaires like they're still making a million dollars if you're the 16th team in the elite and you lose you go down you're making far less money are you going to be able to feed your family you're gonna have to move out of that nice place you got like that that could be a life-changing journey for you it's kind of dark Like that's how that's where your mind went first, where uh, I'm just trying to like be entertained and watch really competitive matches. Now you're actually worried about that person's family and how they're doing. Oh, well, I want to watch it, too. Like, I mean, I want to watch the entertaining (laughs) matches. I mean, do what you got to do. But at the same time, I remember uh, Adriana, uh, one of the national team coaches here in Canada, um, she said to me, yeah, like, you know, when you play against teams who their 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 kids food money relies on them winning this match. You know, it's a different level of competitive energy than just some punk kid trying to be famous. Like it, it's, you know, not necessarily the skill levels or whatever they are, but that energy, the competitiveness is just at a far different level. Yeah, that, that definitely brings a whole another element to the game, especially, as you said, bringing back to growing up on the OBA Beast Tour. There's none of that, not even a little bit. And then now we're going to world championships and the guys are facing, they have that okay, I need to do well so I can, because we talked to the guys from Mexico, like they're getting money from their government if they do well at these tournaments. Whereas for our junior tournaments, it's like, we're out there, we're by ourselves, we're grinding. And these guys are like, they're grinding as well, but they're grinding for their lives. Like it's, I need to be able to eat when I go back home and things like that. So it's just a, it's a whole nother animal that you have to tackle for sure. Yeah, it reminds me of, uh, so when I was on tour with Rich, he was friends with everybody. Uh, we need to have Rich Van Heusen on the show. He's a beauty. Um, but uh, he's friends with everybody on tour. And uh, he introduced me to Laura Ludwig back before she was a gold medalist. Um, but he was friends with the Chinese top player at the time. His name was Tiny. They call him Tiny. I think his last name was Chu Zhu. 
uh, ex you. Um, and, uh, <laughs> he said, Hey, Oh, you got a new partner. Like what happened to your old partner? And he goes, you don't want to know. We're like, what, what the heck happened? Like what? And he's like, yeah, he was underperforming. So, uh, you don't want to know where he ended up. And it was like, Oh my God. Okay. Good luck, man. <laughs> Like, you know, they just take him out. Like, I don't know, go do something else now. Like, what's he doing? Is he, his life's changed. He's working at a car factory right now. Like he never heard from him again. Like, like, he doesn't know. Yeah. He's like, well, I guess he knows where he is, but like, yeah, no, I'm not in a part of it anymore. It's like, oh my God, that is, that's intense. Like, so I can see, you can see why sometimes those guys get like that energy on the court gets super fire. Cause it's like, man, they need that more than I do. It's tough. Yeah, the having the risk of just oh you're not allowed to play anymore you're gonna go do this and you better get fired up for your next game if you know that's on the line. So Josh, you taking some notes for some motivational tools for uh, for these young guys coming into the program? Hey, you don't deliver, you're off the team completely and banned from Volleyball Canada ever for all time. Yeah, I, I can't picture somebody. You from said these yeah, countries, there it Garrett's. is, folks. You heard it here first. Josh agreed. That's it. I just can't picture this type of athlete, you know, sleeping in or being late for the shuttle or like having a, a bad warm up. I feel like they, they just must be so laser focused because so much of it like relies on their performance. Oh, my God. OK, I'm so happy you brought up late for the show. I got to ask because so many times we go on tour and you just see teams coming up and just doing dumb stuff like that. And I've done it, too. Believe me, like Dan and I, one tournament showed up the night before we had to play unknowingly didn't like got the dates wrong we showed up the night before we had to play they had to give us an exception for the preliminary inquiry we obviously lost it was terrible but i see people do dumb stuff like that all the time late for the shuttle like running down like i'm getting my shuttle for my two hours from now game and they, i know they're playing ahead of me and they're like oh i gotta make the shuttle and it's like wait don't you play in 10 like in 20 minutes like oh yeah we gotta go it's like oh my god like you're gonna lose did you guys see any of that when you were in thailand no we were pretty lucky our venue was down the road from the hotel so it was like a five minute walk so oh my I, gosh that's lucky Real, really no excuse if you're sprinting to the court like you have no third party to oh yeah there's some places we go where the hotel's like a 30 minute drive from where the venue is and like if you don't make the right shot like if you get the shuttle an hour before your match that's not enough time like you're gonna arrive 20 minutes and but people inevitably do it thinking oh the you know there'll be a match ahead that went to three and it'll get delayed but then some people like showing up right before their match i did see a spanish team do it one time and then win like show up like late 10 minutes before oh scramble the warm up and then win i thought oh my god okay yeah wow well done you absolutely do not deserve that but good for you <laughs> Have you ever been on tour, Josh, and seen the, your t- your teams doing dumb stuff like that? Not our teams, but the situation in in Qinzhou at a three star in, in China was yeah the the people think they're getting on the shuttle an hour before their game, but it was like a forty minute shuttle, and sometimes there was traffic, so it was um, 
I forget their names. It was like England too. And they were fighting for like the Commonwealth spot for there. That's why they were on tour. And I shot, right. saw them like I'm getting off the shuttle and I'm just like kind of soaking it in, like setting up cameras and doing stuff where like they got off the shuttle and went to their court and put their bag down. And about four minutes later, the refs blowing the whistle for like the coin toss. And I was like, how are you guys professional athletes? And you were literally just on a bus for 40 minutes. Like there's no way you activate it. And they got smoked. Like they absolutely got smoked. But like, I, I don't understand how you're playing for money. You're traveling the world to do this. And you're so like non on about stuff like that i think there's no excuse really as well and i know for our game when we we found out our time the night before so you have plenty of time all right easy here all you judgment guys out there judging all of us who've made some mistakes hey it happens to the best of us it's not like you guys what's your biggest procedural screw up in a volleyball match Friend of the show and Team Canada Beach Volleyball athlete Grant O'Gorman has teamed up with Movember to help raise awareness for testicular cancer and men's health. Check out our show notes to get a link to Grant's page and donate today. Movember, whatever you grow will save a bro. Oh, here's my first one, Garrett. My first one. You? So I'm, I'm coaching. Yeah, see, now we're gonna, I, I yeah. have a terrible one. George Brown, we, we, we get invited to a preseason tournament in, in Cambrian. So we're on the bus to we're traveling the day of. So we have to go play in Sudbury and, and we stop for dinner. And the guys, the guys wanted to stop at Harvey's. And I'm thinking, OK, Harvey's whatever, like it's food or whatever. Our, our best player had like a poutine, two burgers and all this stuff. Garrett, I've never seen somebody who I thought was a good volleyball player play so terribly bad where he almost threw up and warm up from his own diet choices. He played like six points and we had to sub him off. And I was like, this is your first OCAA game as a George Brown Husky. And this is the stupid decision you made. And I watched it happen, Garrett. I watched it happen. So are you taking that on as your mistake for taking them to Harvey's or his mistake for feeding himself terribly? I think looking back, it was definitely my mistake. Uh, At that time, George Brown was an expansion team. So these guys didn't know how to travel. They didn't know the level of the league, all this stuff. And don't get me wrong. It wasn't that great of a tournament. We ended up winning. (laughs) But uh, anyways, worth it. You needed that adversity. That's true, because if we would have just showed up and won the tournament, there is no adversity. But now we could talk about like planning and prep and all the things that go into it. So way to turn your massive mistake into actually somehow a mastermind move to help your team get better. It would have been easy to blame him, but as you're sitting there as a coach, being like, I watched this happen. I watched him sit down at a table with like a tray of enough food for two people. And I thought like, oh, okay, like that's dinner. But See, no, I no. mitigated that by saying to the team loud and clear, we are never stopping for food before the game. Ooh. Figure it out. If we're driving there the day of, figure it out. Bring something, do something. And they did. So, all right, Josh, Steven, you guys got to Come on. You got to have something. Biggest screw yeah. up. For you, Josh is, was not really him, though. So I, we may need a better one out of Josh. Mine is definitely arriving to a qualifier match the night before missing the preliminary inquiry. Huge screw up on all me. I booked the flights. What about you guys? Yeah, for me, I'd say it was in our first year at uh, Windsor. Me being a rookie, I was in charge of um, the jersey. So it's wherever we year. went. I do the jersey. So um, at Christmas time, what does that say, entail? Give us some context here. What do you do when you're doing jerseys? Basically, I just got to go before we leave. So in this case, we're going to Montreal. So like 10 hour road trip. I have to grab the jerseys, put them in the bag, put them on the bus. So it's, it's really not that hard. But um, we but, go. But I, if you I, miss I, one, I it gets worse than that. So I put the jerseys on the bus, figure it's fine. We 
go drive 10 hours. We get there the night before, whatever, grab the jersey bag, don't look inside. I'm like, oh, yeah, I got all the jerseys. Go next day, we're playing Montreal. Open the bag, we only have one color of jerseys. So I forgot an entire like set of all the jerseys. Um, so I was just freaking out in the room. Like all the guys are like, yeah, I need my jersey, I need my jersey. I'm like, I don't have them. I don't have them. So Wait, I had to go up. Coach. But basically you, you play libero. So you forgot also your Jersey. Yeah. So what happened in the end was everyone wore their jerseys and I had to wear my little warm up Jersey. And I, it wasn't, it was lucky cause it wasn't an official game, but coach was not happy. And that well, was but prob- and, and you wear one set of jerseys, suck it up everybody. Like what you get, like you're going to stink, like deal with it. But they were probably yeah. pissed. Those like posh fourth years who been riding pine for three years. What do you mean rookie didn't bring a second set of jerseys? I'm going to stink. Yeah, it, it was, it was definitely, I, I felt so bad and the game did not go well, but ah. I never forgot him again. So got that going for me at nice. least. See, also, I have a funny story about jerseys too, before you go, Josh, um, somebody forgot my, my Jersey number 17 Jersey for a game at Western. I forget who it was. We didn't have rookies doing that when I played, but one of the trainers or whoever does it just left my Jersey number 17. So I had to play in another Jersey and I had a great game. So all of my stats went under Garrett may number, I don't know, one or whatever I played as that game, but it was separate in the thing from my Garrett may number 17 that year for the stats and just lingered in the thing until somebody took me out. Cause they were like, obviously, Oh, there's a duplicate, but uh, yeah. So weird that that happens, Josh, what you got. Can um, you be, be best us? In that same Montreal trip. What? I, you both blew it? Yeah, blew it. I blew it probably bigger, more hard than that, honestly. Um, so I was a redshirt in my first se- in my first year, and there was like a new rule that was placed in that year that um, redshirts can't like dress for like even preseason matches, right? So, but doesn't James know come- you went to Junior Worlds? Like, come on, James. Like, are you gonna redshirt me? Let's go, bud. So, so coach invites me out to the Montreal preseason game. I, I figured just to get like the to road trip. sit on pine coach. So, so I go and I didn't realize that we're playing some like unofficial like scrimmages where we're just wearing warm up jerseys. So I did not bring my shoes, ankle braces or knee pads. So I was wearing Nolan Langley's ankle braces, which were so tight on me. Pierce Johnson's shirt, which is probably like two sizes too big. Like Dommy's shoes, just I, no. I was in champ. No, I do not blame you for that one. I do not blame you at all for that one. But you did agree to go though, thinking you weren't going to play at all. Well, yeah, a trip to Montreal. Why not? Fair enough. I mean, f- fair <laughs> for sure. We had guys wanting to come with us too. Yeah, but like, I blame Coach a little bit on that one. Like, Coach, and but also, how is your first question not? Oh, coach, like, am I going to be playing? Exactly. Yeah. That, great question. I don't know why. You just assumed my, not. Uh, you knew you'd be like, <laughs> you yeah. assumed, no, I'm going to be on the bench. Schedule or anything. I was just a, just a dumb rookie. Okay. Dumb so rookie. it sounds like this trip to Montreal, you two bo- both completely blew it. Oh yeah. Yeah. It wasn't, wasn't our brightest hour. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. I, I, I don't know. I think those are pretty low stakes though. Mine is still the worst. Josh, did you have a situation where actually you made the mistake? I don't think so. I don't wow. think so, Garrett. Come on. Guys dialed, man. Holy. Yeah, this, 
you're just pristine record. What here. could you possibly screw up so bad at a club or high school level here, Garrett? Like, you did you ever like send University a team going to Worlds like the wrong scouting report and they and they lost? Uh, I've sent the wrong scouting report, but then caught it and then had to go back and redo it. I, I've done that before. Yeah, that's again low stakes. You know what? Fixing his own mistakes, like. You know what, Josh? We got to put you in some more precarious situations where you might actually or, screw or something up. Or called the wrong player, the wrong person. So now I always say like Garrett left side or like Garrett defender, so I don't mess that up again. I played right side, by the way. You should you should know that though. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for that. Wow. Well, it seems like we're a bunch of screw ups, except for Josh. Comment down below. Like we got to have something for Josh. Maybe a mistake he made on the show or something. Like I don't know. Gosh, this guy's record can't be this perfect. I can't think of anything though, Josh. Like I can't really like throw shade at you because i don't have any ammunition on that front um but please. i'm trying to think with the episode on passing times i definitely asked somebody a question that like wasn't them i remember you now. did I, I, yeah but they just played like, oh, it so, like, off tell me like, about i don't this. remember like, that uh wasn't my year and i was like oh so and i was like it was a bad one like i i like talked about the year they won a national championship but they're like they didn't win a national championship like it was one of those like wow i did I not I notice in the episode like, i did not I notice that i should have been way more but yeah listen <laughs> i i've gotten people's names wrong forgotten who they are asked stupid questions so that's all fine and good so moving on to summarize pro beach beach pro tour if i had to give it a grade i'd say we're all giving it a five out of ten i would say that's been my sense average i don't i don't hate it like if they can find a way to get more i like as you said like the best players if you're gonna go to these futures like you're, you should ball out and i totally get that but at the same time for me like i before I go, I don't want to be like my, my second tournament ever to be in like a challenger tournament where I've played one international before. I uh, want to well, be able- Hey, that's, that's how it's going to be. Like, that's how it had been for the history. If you wanted to make it in, you needed to get a partner who had points or just go with zero points and try to get in. Like that's the only way it used to be. So, I mean, actually for accessibility, maybe this is better than it used to be. Maybe. And I will say there, it does feel like there are a lot of events, Garrett. It feels like the, the number of tournaments is going up. So that's yeah, a good so sign. Are we going to bankrupt the whole system maybe, or is there going to be some money around? I don't know. Maybe. And if we're looking for good things, I like the name futures better than remember when the NBA first started and it was the D league. Oh, I play in the D league. Like that was a terrible name. <laughs> that, I thought that was a great name. You think the D league is better than the futures league? I would it rather doesn't... call these futures tournaments, the D league tournaments. <laughs> like let's be clear about what they are futures is so optimistic in its nature no 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 let's let people know where they're at you are in the tier three or like n- number them or call it the terribles or something like just the really exaggerated i'm down for that trillium for our ontario yeah, tri- trillium. <laughs> trillium b um, <laughs> not even a yeah trillium b trillium. Um, speaking of that, so you guys both, obviously we talked a little bit about some of your indoor stuff. Um, but Steven, I know you played, um, some junior national team stuff as well. And you guys both did the kind of junior world stuff. So it's not often that you get people doing both, um, kind of involved in indoors at a high level, but also playing, uh, beach. Like, well, most beach players do play indoors, but then the junior national team stuff, pretty uncommon. I tried to do it when I was your age, I did the tryout thing and I would have made the team, but I turned them down to play beach instead. So I am kind of curious though about, cause we've talked a little bit about this with TJ 
Sanders when he was on the show about the kind of the highest level. But what we don't get at is like the climb, right? Um, is like that's where most people play is when they're in their club age or they're kind of university players or whatever. I'm curious from your perspective and Josh, maybe you can chime in here on some of your thoughts is um, like the indoor versus beach vibe for that kind of national junior national group, right? You guys obviously go on doing some training group in preparation for the junior beach volleyball worlds. You're with a bunch of guys in a training program, you know, on your university teams, but then on your junior national team. And I always found the vibe so different. I'm just curious, Steve, maybe your, some of your impressions, some of the things maybe you like, you didn't like about those two different areas. Well, I'm going to cut him off here. And just for our listeners, this is some behind the scenes stuff that nobody really knows about Garrett, but I'm going to go ahead and blame the FIB here for why we didn't get Stephen Abrams this summer. And the reason I bring that up, Garrett, is indoor was so organized that like they knew when their international tournament was. So Volleyball Canada could host the junior stuff and we could go that Stephen had already made and committed the indoor team and had planned, probably bought his ticket to go to the competition before the FIB even decided we were going to run a U21 Worlds, that it was such short notice by the time we did it, that we couldn't host the trials. We couldn't do it so uh, i think we lost out on some players because uh, i don't think steven was the only guy on that team who could play beach at a high level but because indoor and, and the fiub they love their indoor stuff don't get me wrong that's like, that's like the golden child right so because they were so well organized i think that's what broke the tie for a lot of guys that could have done both is the beach thing just kind of like came together where thailand's like hey we'll host and everybody's like okay they're hosting they're, now there's a tournament but we didn't know there was a tournament till the middle of the summer okay so steve you are perfectly placed to comment on this then because Josh is a little bitter, but you went to an environment that was not Josh's environment. And so I'm kind of curious what some of the vibe, the differences was, because I have some of my own thoughts, but maybe you got some as well. Well, the huge thing was when we actually went to our world championships, I don't even think I'd ever met Josh or trained with Josh before. Like we didn't do any of the national team stuff before we went to world. You blew it, Josh. There's your mistake right there. What are you doing? We've so, corrected that. We've corrected that. Now that Andrew Koss is around a little bit more, I think the athletes going to Youth Worlds, at least the Ontario ones, have been in the center. I've nice. met them. We work with them a little bit. But nice. yeah, it was uh, there was a disconnect there for a lot of years, I think. So what yeah, did you do instead? Time. Was that Team Ontario stuff? Yeah, the only time I was in the center was when we actually had our trials. And then I went, We our, tri- our actual tournament was um, in the summer, like before the summer started. So we were still in high school. Um, so we were like going down a couple times a week to Ashbridges and training with Timo, but we didn't really have any of the national team experience. So we're training with guys that are like two, three years younger than us, but uh, we're about to go against the best players in the world. That's tough. Um, but even still, you're still getting that kind of beach group training environment. And then more recently getting access to like this indoor group training environment, right? Yeah, even this summer, I, I trained a month um, with the next-gen beach guys before I went to the indoor. So right. um, I found, like, if we compare world versus world, I felt much more prepared for the indoor worlds um, because we had, it was sort of like a two-month-long tryout where we played, we had eight practices a week, and we were grinding, we were living together. So everyone had a common goal. You're super connected. You're grinding every day, whereas before the beach worlds, we practiced three, four times a week with different people every day. Like I found the indoor one prepared me a lot better. And I, I felt that everyone was, there was a lot more uh, tools that we could use. Like we had. Yeah. New- and on I'll hand. stop yeah. you because you're definitely right. And in Canada, if you're listening, you're not in Canada, indoor gets the cash. Indoor gets the money. They make it rain over there. 
speech doesn't get as much love for whatever reason, but that's okay. That, that so that's going to reflect in like what the opportunity is. Indoor, you go to a full center, you got the serving machine, you got the full hotel, the team, cater, everything. You go train beach. It's like, wow, we can't do that. We need you to actually come here and pay your way. And cause we, we can't really do it. Um, and that's just the reality. I'm a little bit more curious about like the people that you interact with, right? Because that's probably the, a bigger factor in your experience overall, but also in helping you improve. Yeah. Um, honestly, the beach program that we did this year, um, I think this was the first time. Did you both you do heard, that? Um, just I, I, did. I did not. Um, so I was with Josh and I think there's 12 or 14 of us. And honestly, that was probably one of the best training groups I've ever been a part of. Um, all the, all the people in it were awesome. Now, are you just saying that because Josh is here? Honestly, yes. I, I wish I was, but it, it was, it was, wait, you wish you were, you are though. <laughs> okay. You, you wish, it. It wait, was, you wish his training environment was worse. No, it was, I, I misspoke. <laughs> it was, it was pretty good. I honestly, it, we brought people from all over Canada. So it was like the first time that I'd really been in a, in a beach training group and like the tools that they had, sure. It wasn't as, as pretty as the indoor, but they, they made it work as well as they could. And it was, it was pretty great to, to be able to grind. And we interacted with the B team a lot, which was huge. So we got to play guys that are traveling the world in the pro volleyball player um, scene right now. So that was huge to, to get to compete with some of those guys. Okay. That's all um, great. Sounds great. They're all great guys, but really, was it like that? Yeah. I was mean, it really all sunshine and rainbows? There's definitely a little discrepancy in skill because I'm looking at Josh and he's were, rolling his eyes because he knows you're you're full of you're full of it right now. No, not you, Josh. The other Josh. No, not you. You. No, no, you. Yeah, you. Yeah. I don't think he's full of it. I mean, when we went to Thailand, uh, we we had a pretty good time. Like all the people we met were very nice and very welcoming. So and who, what was the coaching staff like for that tournament? Um, Angie Shen came yeah. and uh, Darren O'Neill came as well with us. Yeah. I mean, most people are, are great. I just, when I'm curious when you compare it to indoor as well, and you guys have your team environment, obviously with your, uh, with your Windsor team, but when you compare those two, what are some of the differences you find? Yeah, I definitely found a huge difference in how we prepared for games at the indoor versus beach. When we're at beach, like, we kind of just showed up and played like sure we're in the qualifier, but I felt like we could have been more prepared for our match. Whereas indoor, we're like, I'm watching film for three, four hours before we really? play the team. We have like, or we have, we had the head coach or head statistician with us for volleyball Canada. He was giving us these insane game plans. Like I felt like I was prepared to beat like everything they were going to do. I, I know what they're going to do. But are and, like all the players like buying into that or cause like when I picture myself in that environment, like watching film for four hours, like looking at stats, like yawn, I'm going to fall asleep. Like everybody's like fully engaged. Oh uh, yeah. For the most part, like I'd go and I'd watch with a couple other receivers. We'd go and we just watch their servers for an hour, two hours. And then, Oh my go. gosh. What? Yeah. You watch people serve for two hours. If at like at least now we'd watch their hitting angles and then we'd go have our meeting with our actual coaches um, and they'd go over everything, their tendencies and stuff. And that'd be another hour. 
and then we'd go play them. My goodness, Josh, like that's a lot, but that feels like excessive to me almost, but maybe that's because I'm more of a beach guy, I guess. But that's what I mean. It's like, that would seem like going and watching film for two hours. Like that's like three full games of a beach team. We don't even have access to that. Like, I think it's cool that Lionel was able to track that down. Garrett, our database is like three stars or higher. So when our our team goes to U19 Worlds, if they want to watch video, like our best bet right now is honestly YouTube. I don't even know where we would find video on a bunch of these teams. Yeah. And but like if you did, though, and you send it to the beach teams right now, how many of them Uh, are going? Yeah, yeah. Give me that. I want to watch film for four hours and prep for my match. Well, now that I know that people actually do this, maybe I should, but well, I'll but never do send people them a actually do this. I'm like, calling BS on this. I don't know. Like two hours of film. Like, Stephen, what are you talking about? Really? It is, it is heavily clipped. It is heavily situational. We're looking for like these are the tendencies we're looking for. We're not watching four full matches in a row. No chance. Like it is heavily edited by me, unfortunately. But yeah, we're not watching anything in full here. That's that's nonsense. Well, but like but even if you did watch three matches in full, that'd be about two hours ish. He's watching two hours yeah. of just. Just people serving, not even the match, not even (laughs) just people serving. What our day would look like in like if we played um, our game, we play it a couple times. This happened like we do our scouting um, in the more like the night before we'd watch. They'd make us like sit down in the room as a team and we watch the full match of the team we're playing um, the day before. So in that game, like I'd be taking my notes, looking at tendencies, watching our people serve. Um, Then like the next writing stuff down. While we're watching, yeah. <laughs> Gary, you never wrote anything down. This is blowing my mind. I still don't write things down. What are you talking about? You're then sitting like, watching a game, taking notes as the libero. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Just, do you guys do this at Windsor too? Uh, for Windsor, it's a little bit different. It's like throughout the week, since we have more time to prepare for a match. Um, starting on like Monday or Tuesday, we'll like for me, I'll start and I'll shot trace the the servers that we're gonna have that weekend, and then look at their hitting angles, and I'll probably spend like three. Well, by hitting four. angles, you mean their serve? No, like I'll watch their their serves and their oh like, and the hits. Yeah, like both, and like the setter tendencies and stuff like that. So probably like three or four hours at least. Okay, I'm sorry. We've had it pretty cordial. Serving angles, though, you're charting them. They're serving to either one, six, or five. Maybe a short serve in there. And they're doing mostly what their coach tells them to do as well. So what, what value are you getting out of that? Well, it just shows us like how we want to set up, how we want to play around that server. So like, for example, if we have a guy going five to five, like we want to make sure that whichever his favorite serve is, like we're not giving it to him. So we know like, okay, this guy's doing this right away. We can get out of it one and done. This guy's like not going to score. But don't you think a guy going five to five, if he comes against you and you're passing out of five, he might go five to one because like, I'm not going to serve the libero. Well, first of all, I'm not going to be passing out of five because I'm lib. So one rotation you do. No, no, not no, anymore. You don't? Not a five one. No. What? No. They'll be in one three times and six three times. Yeah. Yeah. Not when the P one is in position two. No, you come no. back with the setter and left and right switch. Yeah. The P two would still be in five in rotation one. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, anyways, yeah, like we'll make sure that like 
depending on what serve we have guys cutting off and taking more courts sometimes i'll be taking like the like half the court if the guy loves this serve so we can make our passers in five super comfortable let them get out right away because that is such a guys internationally hit the same so they can have a favorite serve i would imagine a shot chart is like a tendency they have you're telling me international guys can't serve anywhere on the court based on the situation or like garrett's talking about like what if their favorite serve the match you watched was a five to five but now against you guys they're actually going to go into the one six seam like the majority of the guys had very consistent serves. There is a couple Great guys on. Point. It is the OVA we're the OUA we're talking about here, Josh. Uh, <laughs> this is at World Championships. Like, I mean, Russia was pretty good. They they could they could serve more than one spot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Damn those Russians! Not doing the same thing every time. They like a lot of guys were like serving pretty internal the majority of the time or external like they'd hit like six five so we could shift a little bit and just make it a little bit easier to make better passes. Okay, so but Josh, are you as well doing as much film as Steven's saying he's doing? Like he's taking notes on this. Are you taking notes? Like are you doing this too? Uh, definitely not as Steven, <laughs> but I, I definitely do look at probably at least two hours of film before before the match arises so and no notes though you're just watching the game i I don't really take notes i just kind of take mental notes up here so yeah i mean same but i like two even two hours is like because i find like and I'll, i'll say this there's only so many middles who serve from position five and left sides who spin serve out of position one and left sides who tool the block line and middles who hit to five and right sides who hit back door that I can handle before I lose my flipping mind. Like there's not, there's not that big a variety I find, or at least when I played in the OUA, like you're chatting, you're statting a guy who's a left side and it's like, okay, does he to a line or does he hit cross? Like what, what are we really like? What's the difference there? Like you're going to you get, Oh, this guy hits seam. Well, what, Hey, close the block. Like, how's that actually going to change what you're doing? <laughs> well, it's the OUA, Garrett. I imagine half the P2s they watch are like tip to one, tip to one. Right. Like, yes. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. I forgot. I did forget about that. Yeah. I don't know. I think like, it just helps a lot. Like some guys we notice can't hit certain shots. So then we don't have to worry about that. And it just, like guy can't hit line so now we know okay i'll take more cross because our blocks yeah. can be more cross See, but if you had to play a guy like me back in the day <laughs> it wouldn't have mattered guy doesn't hit line well he'll still find a way to go cross. <laughs> <laughs> okay you guys have to do me a favor i think i don't think i can't remember if james was the coach or not but if anybody's still there from when i was still playing which is possible i think james was there maybe in one of my later years Windsor pulled a move where on our P2, they called down, like they went down on his in-system sets in the front row and they called down on him. He got set 10 times. He got six kills on 10. So four, four times a guy strapped it on and made a dig. You got to ask around about that if it's kind of, cause it's a legendary strategy employed against us that did not work. I'm curious if it's, if there's any Intel still lingering about that honestly i can't say i've heard anything like that in my entire life it sounds pretty outrageous but i'll ask around and i'll do some digging you should, you should ask james to say if he was there then because it was I, 2014 was the year um but uh well, and that i feel old saying that but uh yeah full down call on the left side but josh nickel i'm shocked while i'm here berating the guy saying he studies he takes notes he does video you're allowing me to do this when you do all the scouting reports 
record shot charts and edit video for all the teams on the national team. You're just letting me tee off on this guy when he's doing what you would want him to do. I I'm just shocked. One, he has that much time. I would like to talk to him about his studies, by the way, if he's watching four hours of game. Yeah, how are your grades weekend. there, Steven? <laughs> um, they're, they're good enough. They're okay. good enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I maybe I've been out of indoor too long here where I just wouldn't spend that much time on like what the serving tendency is like shot charts, rotations, tendencies, all that stuff. Like how can you maybe force a response from the other team setter? But yeah, I don't want to watch 10 minutes, let alone three hours of the other teams just serving. Well, and I, I don't envy you either, Josh, like beach is like, is probably worse. Like you watch. Oh yeah. Shot chart. Yeah. He rolls line and hits cross. <laughs> oh, what does he do when they block him cross? Well, he hits line or rolls cross. It's like, okay, what, how much of this can we stomach before we vomit? Yeah. Two people in a ball. It doesn't get that creative, really. Yeah, like, oh, he goes on two. Oh, where's he hit it? Well, uh, both ways. <laughs> I know on the beach, it's a lot more of like forcing them to do the things you want because there are only so many shots. Like you said, if you're blocking line, they're probably rolling line, hitting cross. Maybe they sneak in a cutty. Okay. So it's like. I got two that stories point. that this is reminding me of. One, Josh, when we first started doing shot shot charts with the national team, it was like the first time we started doing this. It was uh, back when we hosted the Junior Worlds in Halifax two years in a row. And the first year I was with Danny Demienenko and uh, we're playing a Czech team and we get the shot chart. We're looking at it. We're going through the scouting report with it was Rob Dive at the time who was taking us through it. Uh, Jason Hubbard was there taking us through the shot chart. Yeah. OK. Tendencies. Here it is. They do a lot of short line, deep cry. OK, cool. We get in the game. All they do is pokey. They only ever pokeyed. And that came up nowhere in the scouting report because it was just the shot chart. So it was like, we were so pissed. We were like, what? We didn't have time to watch these guys play. We got just the shot chart. You didn't think to tell us they pokeyed everything, uh, you know, like deep, like jumbo. They were good at it. And the other thing, maybe you guys relate to this at, uh, at Windsor, walk into the game plan meeting every time headed into the week. This is what happened Every single time, every single uh, scouting report. Maybe James is a little bit more detailed. Goes through each player. Oh, left side. Yeah. Hits line. Hits cross. Block him line. Middle. Yep. Hits to five. Block him to five. Yep. Right side. Hits to one six. Yep. Block him to one six. Every single game we ever played, that was the case. You maybe sometimes got this. Middle. Hits to one. Hits to five. Take him to five. <laughs> We'd be like, okay, like fine. We had the same game plan every year. Maybe I'm giving away the the, the westerns <laughs> game plan here ahead of you guys going to play them. So um, I one. feel like for for our team, like passing is very important because we're very undersized. So we do tend to look at like serving tendencies a lot more because well, if we want to be successful, we're going to need to be in system as much as possible. So. Yeah. yeah, we also will go in and Gravel, big setter guy. So he'll always have somebody say like, okay, their setter is going to be doing this. So we have to 
do this, this, and this. So like, let's say some teams like will serve one because their setter sets left side every time when it's coming over his shoulder, he never sets the right. So we know that when we serve one, they're going to set left and we can stack our block and we can just trap them, things like that. So he's really, really good at finding the little setter tendencies. Um, so we'll talk about that a lot in our meetings, which um, is huge. That that contributes to a lot of extra. Whether you're getting like two, three points from that set, that can make a huge difference, especially this year when all the teams in the West are super, super close. Yeah. Does he ever give you like little useless pieces of information, like things that are just totally out of context and not usable at all? Um, um, I've probably heard a couple before. Like sometimes if like the set's inside, I mean, our team, sometimes we we can uh, get trapped and blocking just the same spot consistently. So he, he always has to remind us like, if it's inside, guys gotta block inside. Heard that one a million times. So yeah. for me as a lib, it's easy for me to say as a lib, I don't block ever. So I'm like, yeah, yeah makes sense, Gorelli. Like, if it's inside, block inside. Come on, guys, gotta yeah. listen. But then again, like I'm just sitting there playing defense. Like I don't have to stop inside when it's inside. So yeah. easy for me to pick from the back row. So but. that's actually game relevant though. We used to get like totally little notes on the on the board about players like that just our coach had accumulated over the years, like low confidence. Uh, <laughs> like soft spoken, uh, like, uh, scared or like things like that, that like we maybe could somehow take advantage of, but we're totally irrelevant, but we always got a great kick out of that. <laughs> Definitely nothing like that. I haven't heard of those before. Sounds awesome. Okay. Yeah. So all this stuff is obviously stuff that we, you know, you get at university that you, you never really got or maybe you did, but I never really got as part of the club experience, right? Because you play in the OVA, at least for us uh, here in Ontario, the other kind of provincial associations and your national tournaments as you kind of approach university. And that's often like such a tough transition for people. I find like you guys talked about your kind of first trip in Montreal and you have like a few things to take care of and we, we blow it completely, right? Like when have you ever had to deal with being a red shirt and like, Oh, do I bring my stuff or not? And now you got to worry about everybody's jerseys, not just your own and bringing it to the tournament. Like I'm kind of curious from your guys, like obviously we don't do a great job in club of like preparing us for the next level. Right? No, it's just so different. I think, um, there's got to be ways where you can make it a little more similar because the transition, it's such a big jump. You go from only ever playing in tournaments ever, like never once did I play a to league, league game. format match games. Yeah. It's, it's the complete opposite. Um, I think this year with COVID, they might've started to do more stuff like on that aren't as tournaments. I, I think I heard that Comment somewhere down below. If you're still listening, let us know. Cause we don't. Um, but I think it's just the tournaments are great because it's convenient, but I think there's got to be a better way to incorporate the, a league format or something. If that's how the best players are going to play at the next level, I think you got to try and prepare them a little better for that transition. Yeah, I mean, I hear you. But now, I mean, Josh is already getting a headache from all the admin needed to go into that. Josh used to work at uh, the OVA um, thinking about like having a team come across the province with a whole club of high school kids to play in a single match or like a league format style game. Like what a nightmare. 
I think with COVID, uh, I was talking to one of our players who still coaches club. They are doing a league thing because they're having trouble finding facilities because there's still communities who don't want, like if, if you run a high school, Garrett, they don't want a club team coming in at night because of the, the protocols and all that stuff. So they're, they're doing that. But the conflict a lot of coaches are having is I only get so much practice time with my team and now I'm going to turn it into matches. And do I really get like, does everybody get touches and feedback and stuff? So that's a bit of a challenge. Uh, I think the OVA did a good job though. Like you have like a region or you have certain teams that you have like a, a mailing list with. So it's not like you're inviting like Ottawa to come to Toronto or something like that. So it is kind of regionally driven. But yeah, to, to Stephen's point, I feel like when I coach club, you go to a tournament and you just try to make your team as best as possible. You weren't like game planning and practice for like what you were going to see because there'd be eight other teams there and you couldn't predict what you're going to do. So you just try to get like as flexible, as good of a team as you can get versus when you're doing league stuff in college. Like, yeah, we would prepare for a week for the same team and kind of plan drills and, and do prep and do video. Like it, it's totally different. So to say that one feeds into the other, yeah, you're playing a totally different different style of volleyball like funneling into the university or college system right now well you know what's wild too is what i see though is when you see the players who are playing in university they come from a handful of clubs in ontario or a handful of clubs in manitoba or a handful of clubs in uh in bc and like you see maybe one or two other players from like some of the best players from some of the smaller clubs but it's mostly these big clubs they got teams in every age that's where they often the club players go to university, but then you also see these guys at university who just start playing, who've just played high school or never played club. And it's like, what this, this makes no sense. Like how, how is a guy who never played club going to be better and more competitive than these guys who play club coming in? And why is it only these players from these? Like I'm thinking about all the best players from other clubs that I played against. Like so many of them quit and didn't play when it was like, Players worse than them on just a big club kept playing. Like, is there something about that culture that's like, oh, yeah, like keep it going. Whereas if you're from a small club, it's like, nah, you're done after this. I think for for me, uh, I was from Georgetown and we got super lucky. We kind of made our own team with all our buddies locally. And I think from what I've heard from other people is just the team chemistry and the team attitude was very different. We we're very like we were there to grind like every practice we came in we were ready to grind and as a result i think seven of the guys from that team went on to play university wow um it's pretty uncalled for for a team that's like even for a team for pacman to have seven guys that's huge we were a team from georgetown and like just a bunch of random guys really that decided to start playing volleyball um so i think we were kind of an anomaly because as you said, like you see guys from Pac-Man, guys from Storm, guys from Mavs, they'll have four or five guys every year go play. See, and now I'm, I'm tempted to brag. I'm tempted to like chat, counter that with the numbers from my club team, but I'll, I'll try to resist Josh. So I don't want to feel like it's all about me, but it's a good point. Like, what are you counting them now? <laughs> yeah. Relax. There. Say, it's about these your guys. Club team, your club team had a bunch, Garrett, I think. Yeah. We had hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, pretty gnarly. But uh, that was that oh, was that's right. Good. Even your third middle went to Ryerson. That's yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, not, that's what I mean. Is like guys on my team who did not play went and played at university. The best players from another team, like you guys had seven guys. Like I'm sure seven guys. That's was that your whole starting lineup? Probably not. Probably one of your starters like didn't play, right? I think I think all our starting lineup. When, yeah. Okay, so the maybe. seven the seven starters then. Yeah, maybe, yeah. I think we have eight actually. Okay, yeah. So like one guy who's on the bench is going to play at university. When a guy you battle against in the tournaments, starting maybe a good player is like out. 
what did he not get scouted? Did he quit? Like what? Like, I don't know. It just, it just seems like such a weird unconnected thing where it's just what happens. Yeah. Like the guys that don't see any court time for four or five years of playing OBA are now starting over these guys that started on a good team for five, six, seven years. You sound a little bitter there. Are you, is this, is that, is that a little close to home there? Well, honestly, I didn't really pl- I didn't start on my my club team until 17U, so I definitely paid my dues riding the pine for a while. So, I honestly, what? I Your coach sounds like an idiot. Wasn't your coach your brother too? <laughs> well, what, once Robbie and Jake took over, that's when I broke out. But I was—that's when you started. When your brother and his best friend were your coach. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> to be fair, I was like five foot nothing, so I'd come in the back row for three rotations because there's no libero. I'd pass a couple balls and then I'd go off because that's all I could do. I couldn't play in the front row. I was too tiny. Like I literally could not get over the net until 16U. But it so. Having the Nola Barrow is another. It's a topic for another time, but I it was definitely tough for a couple of years not playing much because there's no libero, there's no position for me to play. Yeah. So that was definitely different. Well, you both made it to a university team now. You're screwing up jerseys and not bringing your stuff. And uh, we wish you all the best. So I mean, guys, that's the episode. This one's even longer than some of our normal ones because i think we were just having a great time chatting about some of these things um but this is how the show normally goes i have to look at the time and kind of say that it's kind of over um what'd you guys think oh, it was a blast it was a great time yeah love love having a good time on the show always a pleasure with josh first time with garrett but holy it was a good time that's really nice of you to say josh I'm waiting, though, for somebody to say, hey, how was it? And go, you know what? It was absolute garbage, Garrett. I don't (laughs) like I'm waiting for that to happen. As long as the guests have fun, I think we're good. But as long as they're being honest, it's probably more important. So it was garbage. And uh, don't call me again. Thanks. Yeah. If it was garbage, (laughs) would you tell us? I maybe wouldn't be as adamant about how (laughs) it I don't know. I don't know if I have the balls to say, oh, yeah, that was real. So that's a no. I would not tell you. I would hide it and just give you the lip service. So we don't know still if you're being genuine or not based on that comment, but we'll have to take it your word. So, um, but thank you guys for joining us. Uh, it has been a blast, at least for me. Uh, we've gone well over time, but that's always good. Um, if you're still listening, thank you so much. I have no idea why you made it this long in the episode, but we're so glad you did. Um, hit that subscribe button, comment down below. We'd love to hear from you. Josh, anything you want to leave with the people? Just as always, thank the listeners. And Garrett, we tried to make this tradition of, of where to tell them where they fit in the show. And I got to tell you, Garrett, it was a rough week. It was a rough week. It started off with Garrett being like, hey, let's get an Olympian. I'm like 0 for 5 on Olympians right now. So the, I went to the go-to. I went to Stephen Abrams making his third appearance on the Passing Dives franchise, bringing his friend Josh along. This was awesome. But uh, yeah, Garrett, uh, in full transparency of, of who is the list, Gord Perrin, if you're listening, check your DMs, bro. I'm in there. Yeah. What a terrible... <laughs> gutty move by me hey josh get us an olympian and i do nothing i did absolutely nothing to follow through and josh just you came through with guests though for sure so hopefully you guys aren't offended by that i mean those are those are some top dogs so if anyone's on the show over us i'd be happy if it was a couple olympians (laughs) right 
but what if it was just some um, random? <laughs> well, then we might. Then we just may not. So we won't. We won't tell them who else turned us down, Josh. <laughs> I just noticed that Windsor was going to play on Wednesday night, so I thought they had time to record right now with us, Gary. So. Nice. <laughs> Okay. Well, listen, that has got to do it for this episode. We've gone on way too long. It's going to be a beast to edit, but uh, thank you guys so much for joining us. Um, It was great to have you. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.